0: I just love what you do for me. You're so reliable, smart and incredibly well-connected.
1: Excuse me, could I pay for my meal?
2: Oh, of course. Just having a moment with my ComBank Smart Terminal. Tap away. Feel a stronger connection. With extra connectivity, you're always payment ready. There's more to love with the ComBank Smart Terminal.
1: Mm, It is a nice terminal.
2: Eligibility criteria, fees and T's and C's apply.
0: Hey, welcome to the MediCubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting and sometimes challenging in primary health care.
3: I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends, Kim Poyner and Ruthka Hagen. Together, we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being in the thick of what's going on in our industry.
2: We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds, and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join
0: us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way.
2: In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. A hearty welcome from Pi country.
0: And uh, Rifka Hagan here. I'm meeting you from Jaja country.
3: And a big hello from Turrbal and Jagara country. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Medicubes podcast. This week, we're joined by Dr. Sean Stevens. Sean is the co-owner of Grove Medical Victoria Park, was the inaugural chair of the RACGP Business of General Practice Specific Interest Group and the immediate past chair of the WA faculty of the RACGP. Sean was the inaugural convener of the RACGP Practice Owners Conference and is the past winner of the Australian GP Supervisor of the Year Award. Sean, I'm running out of of room here to just say all the amazing things you do. Just loving the fact that Sean is one of the most amazing GP owners that I get to work with in my role. And I thought, what better person to have on our podcast with the focus on practice ownership than Dr. Stevens? Sean, when he nominated the topic was that culture eats strategy for breakfast, which I think is going to be a wonderful thing to chat about today and a wonderful thing that I know many practices are thinking about. We love starting every podcast though with a fun fact. So Sean, welcome to the podcast. Let us know your fun fact.
1: Thanks, Chris. Look, it's a pleasure to be here. My fun fact is that I've known my wife since we were born. So our parents, both our fathers and her mother, mm-hmm. are doctors and we're living in the rural Perth doctor's flats where back when residents were actually residents at hospital. She came home from being born, she's six weeks younger than me, and we knew each other up until the age of two, and then we lost track of each other, and then met each other again at a um, friend's 21st, so many, many years later, and the rest is history.
3: Oh, so how many years do you do for anniversary presents? Do you have to add on the extra extra 20 or, you know?
1: Yeah, maybe we should. Uh, that would, you know, We'd be up to gold by now. But it'd be very expensive though, Chris, I've got to say.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, very expensive. And a lot of presents in
3: the middle. And then we're also joined today by our wonderful co-host, Kim. Great to have you with us. And Ruth But well, I thought before we start, just tell us about your background and uh, how you came to be a practice owner.
1: So I am a second generation GP. My father was a practice owner and he always spoke very positively about it. So I always, going into general practice, I always wanted to own a practice and I wanted to own a really high quality practice. I think that's to have a a sense of pride in what you do is really, really important to me. So when I was finishing my training, I was working in the country and I, I had a really good role model who owned a long term country practice. For family reasons, we wanted to come back to Perth. So I looked for a practice that was on the outskirts of Perth near a community hospital, and we got the opportunity to admit patients and it had a long history in the community there. After a period of time, though, and that practice while I was there grew about threefold, but over time, I wanted to be a bit more innovative and I sort of started to get itchy feet. I was there 16 years so, I started looking around with a friend of mine, Mary Wyatt, who's also very forward thinking and innovative. And we landed on a place in Victoria Park, which is in a metro. And we've really adopted a lot of new technology, things like Cubico and Automed, and really trying to be at the forefront of what's happening. And I've, I've really enjoyed that. And we've, um, you yeah, know, so that, that's what drove me.
3: Mate, I've had the pleasure of um, visiting your practice, and it is is an amazing place, an amazing group of people. And I think something I didn't realize until we were prepping this episode is that you've grown from zero to 15 GPs in just three years, and, and what a pretty crazy last three years that
1: has been. What would you put that down to? Well, I think it's culture. Like the name of the podcast says, culture is everything. And Mary and I have really focused on making it a welcoming environment, somewhere that GPs feel supported. Because if you look after your GPs, the GPs will look after the patients and the patients will will come to the business. So we've really focused on building that positive culture amongst staff, nurses, GPs, and it, it's really helped us grow and I get the positive word out there, and it's word of mouth. You know, if you don't look after people, then the word gets out there. If you do look after people, they hear of, of mm. colleagues that are looking for somewhere to work, and next thing you know, you've got a bunch of GPs wanting to come work with you. I also believe that, you know, without not being the literal karma, but I I feel that there is a degree of karma. A bunch of our GPs actually came to work after I met them just doing a practice exam many years ago. So one weekend, myself and two other GPs organised a practice exam and they came along. They weren't working in our practice. I'd never met them before, but I was like, yeah, great. We're doing it anyway for our registrar. Uh, why don't you come along? And now all three are working in our practices just you know many, many years later. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: Fabulous. So look, I I love this topic of of culture and especially how that... Presents itself or its absence in our primary care organizations. Sean, how have you built the clinic morale and culture within your organization? And I guess I preface that by saying that we can all kind of recognize good, strong cultures when we are immersed in it, but we find it really difficult to define the exact hallmarks of what they are and also how to get there. When there is an absence of it, so there 's a little bit to unpack in there, but what 's your take on building clinic morale and culture?
1: well, I think Rivka, first, first of all, you have to work out what are your values there 's no point in doing like Kevin Rudd did and having a focus group on what are my values. you want to have you want to be authentic, <laughs> you want to actually identify what is it that you offer that 's different to other practices and really focus on that and and own it. For us, our values are respect, trust, innovation, teamwork, and fun, but particularly innovation and fun. And and funds, some values are what they call permission to play values, honesty. I mean, really, what clinic is dishonest? Innovation and fun are ones that you don't usually well innovation you see a bit of but fun is not usually one that you would see in a list of values and both mary and i listed that quite high and we do we have a really fun workplace if you're coming to work you spend so much time at work you don't want to go to a place that you don't enjoy so we have lots of social events every monday we have clinical case discussions in the park weather permitting we have team meetings, we have huddles every day. And so I think living those values is really, really key. Innovation's the other one that we really go above and beyond on. And I think during COVID, that really bought it out for us. That's when you really needed to innovate. And both Mary and I are comfortable making snap decisions and living with the consequences. You don't always get it right, but You don't cut each other down for decisions that don't work out. The other thing I say to the team is communicate, communicate, over-communicate, and then communicate some more. So you reach a decision in your senior management group, your practice manager, and the two owners, and your head nurse, and you make sure that you communicate that through everyone. So you have a cascading communication so that hopefully you pick up everyone along the way You have a WhatsApp group for the whole team and each different segment of the team. You have daily huddles where you iron out individual problems. You have doctor's team meetings every four to six weeks. More often when there's things like a COVID outbreak, you really make sure you're communicating every decision that affects every team member that's obviously not confidential and keep that rolling through.
2: I can really see your passion for these values Sean and I can hear that you really put a lot of time energy and effort into those values and I'm just wondering when you induct new staff particularly you mentioned look after your doctors and then more doctors obviously want to come how do you ensure that they embody those values and not dilute what you're trying to strive for there
1: Yeah look really good question Kim so first bit of every induction spend about an hour and a half. I find you you don't just do a half day induction and then forget about it. I do about an hour and a half. And a key bit of that, a good 15, 20 minutes is on vision and values so that your doctors are aware what your values are. We talk about flat structure, not a hierarchical structure. We talk about the fun. We talk about the innovation And that's really key. That then gets reinforced. I find about six weeks is long enough for people to have had time to feel the culture of the practice and start using all of the policies and procedures and results, checking and everything, but then need a little refresh, a touch base at the six-week mark. And as much getting feedback from them as us giving feedback, in fact, probably more getting feedback from them. The other... Part of that is don't be afraid to have some crucial conversations. There's a really good book called Crucial Conversations that I got the whole team to read. And it's a matter of building trust with people so that when there is a constructive bit of feedback to be able to give, that basis of trust is there so that you can deal with the issue rather than the personality And I think they're never comfortable, even after 20 years of supervising registrars, but they're extremely important. I think too many people shy away from them. So it's important to do them and do them well.
3: That's so amazing. And I know people can't see us on a podcast, but we're all sitting here nodding our heads as you talk through those really crucial points. Can I ask in your practice or in your experience, what's the role of the PM, the practice manager in creating the culture, but then supporting you with the culture as an owner? How does that sort of work and what's the dynamic and what do you delegate or what do you share or how does it all come together?
1: Yeah, great question, Chris. We are extremely lucky to have a fantastic practice manager, Beck Whitehurst. Her skills in building a culture are second to none. Beck didn't come from a medical background, unlike most practice managers. She'd managed a range of retail shops, you know, everything from a McDonald's store to a lolly shop. And her ability to build teams in those businesses is what attracted us and sort of getting promoted rapidly in any business she went to. Coming into medical, it's been a steep learning curve in terms of the mechanics of medicine, Medicare, rules, accreditation, all that sort of stuff. You can teach people that. You can't teach people attitude and communicate. Mm. Well, it's very difficult to teach people attitude and communication skills. When I did my MBA, they talked about causal ambiguity. And Beck has this causal ambiguity. She can just do stuff and it's like a Jedi mind trick. This is not the job you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and just amazingly build morale and manage the right team and listens to us. She's also very data driven. So she loves the weekly reports that she pulls out of Cubico and does in our, we use them every week. There's a couple of key metrics. I've had difficulty in the past with practice managers where you come up with agree on KPIs and then the practice manager does what they want anyway. Whereas Beck has been amazing and I think is a big part of our growth in building the culture, but still have a a close eye on the KPIs. And I think it comes from being in that non-medical background She's not afraid to talk about profitability, billings per hour, but without making it a sausage factory. So I think really good combination there.
0: It sounds, Sean, like you've got the magic combination of a strong leadership from the practice owner perspective, the GP perspective, and having really effective practice management in place as well. What I see a lot in my travels in that practice management space is that there are a lot of practice managers who feel very unsupported by their practice owners, who seem to not have that strong notion of leadership and the ability to set direction for their practice managers as well. What's your take on the role of the practice owners in taking that ultimate responsibility for the culture and the leadership within the organisation And how does that play out when that both happens well and when it doesn't happen well?
1: Yeah, good question, Rivka. I think it all flows, all stems from the ownership group, the culture of the practice. I've been in a practice where there was not unity and there was seven owners and trying to reach consensus was extremely difficult. So the practice manager was never quite sure You'd make a decision in a board meeting and then you'd start to implement it and then some would go, oh, I'm actually not happy with that. And it was just very difficult to implement change and build a positive culture. I think having a small number of dedicated owners who are on the same page is just invaluable. You really need to, if you have a meeting and you agree on the outcome, you set the direction for your practice manager and then you let them do it. I remember uh, the mentor I mentioned when I worked in the country, he said, that's absolutely what you have to do. And he and his wife, or well, predominantly him, were the owners of the practice. He would make a decision and then he'd say the practice manager, now you implement it. And if anyone came to the owner to change that, undermine it, he would push back on that very hard and they'd stop doing it. Because I think as practice manager, you need to know that the owners have got your back and that even unpopular decisions mm. that have been agreed upon through proper process will be implemented. So, yeah.
3: I know I see that with practices where there's a couple of owners and they know that one of the owners will always say yes when the other one said no and the practice manager said one thing. So they know how to circumvent the system when they get an answer they don't like and we'll go and talk to a different owner to get a different answer that is the one that the team were looking for. So I think your point there around staying on the same is really vital. If you had to pick one little thing though, Sean, like if you had a practice that is looking to us now and saying, culture, strategy, what is this culture strategy thing? If there was one thing, what would you say is that top tip to take back to a practice looking to start on this journey of valuing their
1: culture? It's difficult to come up with one thing. I would say clarify your values and communicate, communicate, communicate. Just the biggest problems happen when there's that disconnect between your values and what you're doing and what you're saying. I think you've just got to all be on the same page. doesn't mean everyone has to like it, but you're a team and you've got to work together.
2: So I'm curious to know, Sean, you're talking about that communication pathway coming from the ownership into the practice manager and the practice manager, you're giving a complete permission to push back on anyone having meetings outside of the meeting, so to speak. How do you prevent other people coming back and saying, you know, that's not what I want to do? I don't think that's good for the clinic. All of that other negative talk that really can defeat or wear the practice manager down, wear innovation down, wear creativity down. How do you get the feedback that this is even occurring and how to prevent that sort of stuff occurring within your culture?
1: So people will still, I think, approach the owner, particularly if the owner is working in the clinic. I think it's important that people have the chance to be able to talk and that you listen, but then you say, right, okay, please take that back to the manager and express that or raise those concerns. I think it's important to be kind and caring, but not to take it on. It has to be very clear that it goes back through the correct channels, not circumventing.
2: And I assume that also a really critical part of that, if you are going to take feedback on and you are going to listen to what your team is feeling, that then there's some action process as part of that process.
1: Yeah, I think the action still has to come through the manager I was on the board of the RACGP, and I think that the analogy is on a much smaller scale. As the board, as the owners, you appoint the CEO, the practice manager, and then the, you leave the CEO or the practice manager to manage the business. So I think you've got to be really cautious. I mean, if you're getting approached from 10 different sources who are saying, look, the practice manager is stealing from the company, different story. But if they're saying, oh, the latest policy that's been implemented, I really don't like, I think you should change your mind, then listen politely and say, look, submit it through the manager and then we can discuss it if they feel that's appropriate.
0: Sean, as you're just describing that role of the practice manager as not being dissimilar to a CEO in being able to run the organisation and have that authority and accountability to do that, it very much echoes a previous conversation that we had with another podcast guest, which was the CEO of AAPM, Miranda Grace. She articulated that as well. And if we imagine our practices to have that really solid structure in place, whereby the practice owners, aka the board, sets the strategy and the direction for the practice manager to implement then that gives a clarity of purpose for each of those roles that lends itself to accountability and being able to achieve good outcomes. The reality that we still see very often, though, is that those lines are so blurred. We have practice managers with various position descriptions that actually describes what they actually do within the practice. And it can be anything from senior reception role all the way up to that sort of CEO type of structure. What's your view on that variability of how we actually govern our general practices and what that impact has on our successes or lack of successes in that space?
1: Yeah, look, I think... Is a case of horses for courses, particularly when you've got the smaller you are, I mean you it's very difficult. When we started, we didn't have a practice manager. It was Mary and myself, and Mary took on most of the admin managerial role. And then we grew, and we got a senior receptionist, and then we grew more and we got a practice manager, and then we grew more and we got a practice manager who was particularly good at managing teams. So, I think it does depend a little bit on your stage of growth and size. And it is a little bit different. I mean, I use the analogy on the board of the RACGP. The other complicating factor is that as an owner, you're usually working in the practice. You're a contractor, well, depending on the way that you structure your business, but you're effectively a contracting doctor and you're an owner and you're a director. So they're all slightly different hats. So you've got to be really cautious about how those lines get blurred, or how you manage them. You've got to try and keep it as clear as you can. And nobody gets it perfect. I would never say that we've done it perfectly all the way through. We try, you strive, but you don't always get there.
3: Hey, Sean, a little bit sort of tangent to that, but you did you know, raise that interesting contractor question. You've gone from a team of zero to 15 GPs. Maybe GPs have come from practices that didn't have a strong practice manager or didn't have a practice manager or had a very different structure. In terms of bringing a contract GP who we're not in control of when they work, how they work, all those sort of conditions around a contractor. How do you balance those things up to bring them on board with the culture and the strategy in the practice sort of post-induction over the years as that sort of team becomes more comfortable? How do you keep that focus happening?
1: Yeah, look, that's a really good question you can't enforce anything obviously because they're contractors. What you hope is that by being part of the team and being invested in the team, they will pull their weight in inverted commas. They will do what they see the rest of the team doing. The rest of the team looks to the owners. So Mary and I will fill in if somebody's sick on a Saturday, every fourth Saturday, same as everyone else in the clinic. We're the ones that hop from room to room rather than having the plum room at the front of the clinic. If the GP team sees the owners doing that, then they think, oh, well, look, that's what's expected here. That's the inherent culture of this place. And I enjoy being part of this team. So, yes, I'm happy to do that as well.
0: Sean, can I ask you also, how do you maintain your currency and knowledge of sort of leadership theories and how that plays out in practice. Do you have any tips or resources that you lean on to help you find your feet and keep you grounded in that process?
1: Well, I think interests outside of medicine are very good. Having a family and two teenage kids keeps you pretty grounded. And reading, there's some really good books. I, I must admit, doing an MBA, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Having one. Like well, I think we're not sponsored by a university. Yes. Uh, they would uh, edit that out of this, uh, this conversation. <laughs> there's, uh, you know, there's so much theory and so much dry theory. The stuff I really got the most out of was the stuff on human resources, time management, how to look after yourself in a senior leadership position. There's a couple of really good, like pivotal books that I've read. So the seven habits are highly effective people. It was written decades ago, but its currency is still there and I still refer to that often. The Crucial Conversations book that I read previously, we're also involved in Scale My Clinic, which I think has got some really useful input and it's great mixing with people who are very progressive and forward-thinking in the college. So, I'm still heavily involved in the RACGP There's just some amazing people there. That's been one of the greatest benefits of being chair of the college is the people, not just in the college, but by being in a leadership position in the college, the people you meet interstate, other organisations here in WA. So I think I still love being a GP and I still enjoy the stuff, the challenge and doing stuff outside of medicine that you get contacts through by being a GP. So... I hope that answers your question.
2: Yeah, I heard networking and keeping an open mind and keeping your feet firmly on the ground so you can walk the talk, right? Is there any other critical thing that you can think of that you would give to another general practice, really struggling with this, right? Culture's a number one pain point for them. They're constantly losing staff. They can't put their finger on what's happening. What would your one thing be? I know you said communicate, communicate, communicate. People think, yeah, I'm a great communicator, but often that sometimes is a tripping hazard for them. What's your take-home tip for them?
1: I would say look at your people. There's often a person or group of people within an organisation that are affecting the culture. And most people shy away from confronting the issue and... As difficult as it can be, I think having those constructive conversations is really, really important because it's not going to magically go away by avoiding it. And as humans, we naturally want to avoid confrontation, difficult conversations. I think they need to be had and they need to be had well. So I guess it's a style of communication, but it's not shying away from difficult communication
3: very very wise words something i wish that i'd always done a bit earlier is to have those tough conversations because you're right it doesn't just disappear you need to take action for action to occur hey we're out of time that has been a wonderful conversation sean thank you so much for imparting your lived wisdom which i think is something that's really important it's not just from a book you've lived it as a successful owner and that is something that i value is that real world experience of having been through it, been there, done that, and seen the results in you growing your practice over the last few years? Kim Riv, any final thoughts?
0: For me, I could talk this topic all day, every day, but I've really enjoyed from you too, and some of the very practical tips that you've been able to impart along the way. Some of those resources that you use to keep you focused as well but also you're know, giving voice to your calm measured leadership style and that notion of not taking your finger off the pulse that as a practice owner you have that ultimate responsibility to set the tone set the example display the behaviors that you want to see lived within your team as well that's an ongoing effort There's never a a finished time to those actions and they're very important to keep the practice on track. So that's my takeaways from the conversation. Thanks, Sean.
2: Yeah, and I really appreciate that you have really honoured those soft skills that you've said we actually hired based on your practice manager's skill set of being a really effective leader, really team-based, and you can teach the other stuff, right? But you really honed in to that secret sauce on what makes for an effective team and who can do it. And that's often that soft skill where people go, you know what, we will do a little bit more further education on that. Instead, you've gone, no, that's the main ingredient that we're seeking. So I really respect that.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate being on the podcast and thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure and it's funny starting to talk about it and it sort of just flows and then you're thinking, yeah, wow, there's a lot has happened in the last 20 years. So thank you for having me. Amazing.
3: Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Metacubes podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your favourite podcast listening app so you don't miss an episode. MediCubes is brought to you by Cubico, MediCoach, and Medical Business Services, with technical support from the awesome crew at Talking Health Tech. This podcast presents information of a general nature, and we recommend that you obtain professional advice for your individual circumstances always. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future topics on the show, make sure you visit us via the Minikubes website, which you can access via the show notes of this episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with someone who might get some value from it so we can continue to share these important messages with more people.
2: Speak to you next time.